Well, we come today to one of the greatest words that our Lord Jesus Christ ever uttered. We are in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And if you would, just let's go ahead and open our Bibles there. Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. This is an invitation to salvation. It's an invitation to come to Jesus, an invitation to escape the wrath to come. Jesus invites us to come to him so that we can come to know the Father, and knowing the Father is life and salvation and deliverance from God's judgment. And so let's begin by reading our text again, Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says in verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is an invitation to come. Come to me, Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's a gracious invitation. Let's remember the context here. Remember in verses 20 to 24, Jesus pronounced woe on the cities that refused to repent. They would find a worse judgment on the day of judgment even than Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus had been rejected by the cities where most of his mighty works were done. Then in verses 25 to 27, Jesus comforted himself in his Father's sovereign will. The Father had hidden these things, the things relating to repentance, the things relating to recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. The Father had hidden those things according to his gracious will. Or maybe we should say that the Father had revealed who Jesus was to the disciples, the little children, according to his gracious will and hidden it from the rest. And just as the Father was sovereign in revealing the Son to whom He willed, so the Son chooses to whom He will reveal the Father. And that's what we saw in verses 25 to 27. Let's just look at it again there. Verse 25, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And now in our text, Jesus invites those who had heard him that day to come to him, that he might reveal the Father to them. The Father has given this authority to the Son. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Salvation is in Jesus' hands. All authority is His. And even though He's been rejected, He gives the people another opportunity to come. Now one of the things that we often struggle with is this question of whether or not we are one of the elect. In the words of verse 25, we might wonder if the Father has revealed these things to us, or 
Has the Son chosen to reveal the Father to us? It's a question that we sometimes struggle with. And the best way to answer that question is by examining a text like this. Here we can see if we have come correctly. The only way to know if we are among the chosen is if we come to Jesus Christ. See, we can't peer into the Father's decree. But we can see the outworking of his decree in time. And so if we have come to Christ as he invites us in this text, then we can know that it was the Father's gracious will to reveal Christ to us. And so let's look at it kind of in that way. Let's look at this text in a way to make our calling and election sure. And so ask yourselves, as we look at this, ask yourselves, have I come in this way? Have I come in the way that Jesus invites me to come here? And on that note then, let's, let me say this, that this applies to all of us today. This invitation by our Lord Jesus Christ really applies to each and every one of us here today. You know, it's true that Jesus spoke this on a certain day in Galilee to a certain group of people who were there listening to him call this, but it's really a universal call to all who are, who labor and are heavy laden. It's a call to discipleship. Jesus says, take my yoke and learn from me. It's a call to discipleship. And at the end of this gospel, remember, Jesus is going to say that we are to make disciples of all nations. And so here's a call to discipleship and we are to make disciples of all nations. Our mission to the end of this age is to bring this message from Jesus to the nations. The message of our text, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. I want you to turn just as we think about this call to come and the, the, the universality of this call. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 22, right near the end of the book of Revelation. Revelation 22, 17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And so there's an invitation and an open invitation to come. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride, that is the church, have a message. And that message is come. That message is come if you're thirsty, come and, and take from the water of life and drink that water without price. And so our message to the world is come and follow Jesus Christ. Come and become a disciple of his. Take his yoke upon you and learn from him. This is a universal message that we are to proclaim to all nations. And so what Jesus said in Matthew 28, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, the Holy Spirit says through the church, inviting all who will to come to Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross to pay the death penalty for sin. And he rose again and he's alive today. And he himself, through this text, invites us to come to him. In fact, he commands us to come. He, he urges us to come. He commands us to take up his yoke. And so what this text invited Israel to is equally for whoever would heed this command. 
Now, as we look at this and we see the the context here, I, I just want to say that there's really no contradiction between God's sovereignty and salvation and the free offer of that salvation to whoever wills. Jesus moves directly from affirming sovereignty to offering rest to all who labor and are heavy laden. God's sovereign revealing of Jesus Christ happens through the invitation to come. And so Jesus never says, come if you're elect. He says, come if you want rest or come if you want him. And so there's, there's no contradiction here. There's a, an invitation and through this invitation, God is going to work to reveal his son to us so that we can see and come to Jesus so that we can come to the father. And so let's look at this gracious invitation and we're going to kind of do it this way. I, I called it three characteristics of Jesus's gracious invitation. You have that in your outline, three characteristics of Jesus's gracious invitation. And, and we're going to kind of unpack these three characteristics by asking three questions. We want to ask who may come and we want to see who this applies to, who may come. And then secondly, we want to ask, what does it mean to come? And I think there's a lot of confusion on this. What does it mean to come to Jesus Christ? That's really important. And then thirdly, and, and very, very briefly, we're going to just ask the question, why come? And we're going to do it very briefly because we're going to be out of time here. We're going to maybe push the limits of our time here today. But this is a really important passage, a really great passage. And I think this will be helpful really for all of us. But especially for anyone here who hasn't come to Jesus Christ, this is a time for you to really listen and and heed what Jesus calls you to. And again, for anyone who maybe struggles with the assurance of their salvation, this I think will really help you to examine yourself. Have I come the way that Jesus calls me to come? Am I one of those who to whom he says, come? And so let's look at this and and consider your own relationship with Jesus Christ. Consider you're coming to him or you're not coming to him. And I don't want you to forget that Jesus said this, remember, to cities who had not repented, cities who were in rebellion against him. They rejected him. They had, they had, they were hostile to him and yet he invited them. They were stubborn. They were unwilling, but he was gentle and he was lowly and he was gracious and he was willing for them to come. The knowledge of the Son was hidden from them, but Jesus still invites them and he invites us to come to him. Come to me, says Jesus, to all who are weary and heavy laden. The Lord of the universe invites you to come and he calls you today. So don't doubt him. Don't reject him. Don't delay. He invites you. He says, Come to me. And so let's ask then, first of all, in our outline, let's ask who may come? To whom is this invitation given? And we're going to see this mostly in verse 28. Jesus says in verse 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And the first thing to note here is that word all. Jesus says, come to me all. Jesus could have said, come to me, you who are. But he added and said, he added this word all. And so Jesus invites all, all who labor and are heavy laden. 
Now, someone might say that Jesus restricts this invitation to, to only all who labor and are heavy laden. Only all of them are invited. But this isn't meant as a restriction because really all humanity labors and is heavy laden. All humanity needs this rest that Jesus promises here. All of us need to know the Father through the Son. And so it's not as though Jesus is saying that, that some people have rest already. You know, some don't labor, some are not heavy laden, and, and all the rest of humanity is invited, but not those people. No, this is really all. This is one of those times where all really means all people. All who heard and all who ever will hear this message. This is an, an invitation to them. All of us labor. All are heavy laden and all of those people are to come. And so who may come? First of all, note that word all. But then secondly, Jesus says those who labor. And the word translated labor means to work to the point of exhaustion. And so to become tired or, or weary by working so hard. The Legacy Standard Bible translates it weary. Focusing on the, on the effect of the labor. That labor leads to a weariness of the soul. And that seems to be the idea here. This idea of, of weariness from some kind of labor. And with that, then we kind of wonder, well, why are they weary? What work are they doing that results in this weariness? And I want to come back to that shortly. But, but thirdly, as we think about who may come, Jesus says, those who are heavy laden, they may come. Those who are heavy laden. This word means to load someone with something or to cause someone to carry something. And here this person has been loaded with a burden. They're, they're carrying a load. And the, the verb tense indicates that they've, they have been and they continue to carry this load. They're, they're loaded down. They've been loaded and they're, this load is with them to this day. And again, that makes us wonder, well, what is this load? Why are they burdened? Why are these people burdened? And the first thing to say as we think about these questions, why are they weary and why are they burdened, is that Jesus isn't specific here. He doesn't say specifically why the person is weary or laboring to the point of exhaustion. He doesn't say what burden they are bearing. It's not like this is limited to only people with a certain kind of burden or a certain kind of weariness. There's nothing in the context that would narrow this down to a specific weariness or a specific load. And that's actually really good news for us. It's really, really good news. And you say, why is it good news? Why is it good news? Because it means that you don't have to be wearied in some limited way. You don't have to have a specific burden or you don't have to have a big enough burden. Sometimes we wonder, am I weary enough? Have I labored enough? Am I burdened enough? You don't have to have a specific burden. You can simply come. All who feel weary and heavy laden are invited to come. And if you're weary and you're burdened and you don't even have to be both, you could be either weary or you could be burdened. You are invited to come. If you want rest from Jesus Christ, you can come. Again, if you feel weary in some way, if you've been working at something, whatever it might be, and you're tired and you want the rest that Jesus is offering here, you may come. This invitation is for you. Or if you feel burdened, 
You feel like you're carrying a load, whatever that load might be. You may come to Jesus Christ for his rest. And it's that simple and it's that open. And in a sense, I, I just want to leave it there. I just, I just want you to know that it's that simple and it's that open. And yet, I, I, I want to go a little bit deeper. I, I don't want to narrow this at all, but I, I just want to explore maybe some of the things from the context that might, and I, I just want to emphasize that word, that might shed some light on the kinds of weariness and the kinds of burden that might have been on Jesus' mind. And so don't let this, what I'm going to say next, narrow this at all. This is an invitation to whoever feels weary and burdened, but I want to just kind of explore this a little bit. Because in the immediate context, Jesus is being rejected. John the Baptist and Jesus preached repentance, and that Israel needed to accept Jesus as their Messiah. And Israel did not repent, they did not accept Jesus as their king. To repent means to turn away from sin. So he's saying repent. They didn't turn away from their sin. To repent means a, a change of mind about sin and about God. To repent means to see sin as the evil that it is and that I see God for who he is, for all of his greatness and his glory. And I turn from the sin that I once loved to live for the God that I once hated. That's repentance. I, I now hate sin and I love God. I want to, I want to, I used to serve sin and now I serve God. That's repentance. It's a turning away, a 180 degree turn and going in the opposite direction. And what that means then is that one of the things that, that would weary or burden these people is related to sin. That's, I think, if we want to kind of narrow it down and think, what exactly does Jesus have in mind? It's something related to sin and the lack of repentance. And so let's explore this a little bit, this, this, um, this relation to sin with weariness and being burdened. And there's a few things that I want to say about this. Num- number one, I, I guess I didn't number these here, but first of all, the committing of sin can be wearisome. The committing of sin can be wearisome. Sinners often work very hard to satisfy their souls with sin. It's like trying to fill a bottomless pit. No matter how much you fill yourself with whatever sins you pursue, those sins never satisfy. And so there's this constant pursuit after sin that never satisfies. And when I think about that, I think about the men of Sodom. Do you remember the men of Sodom? They wanted to satisfy their lusts with the angels that came to town that night. The angels then struck them blind. And Genesis 19.11 says that the, they, the angels, struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out in groping for the door. These men wearied themselves to satisfy their lusts, even though they'd been struck blind. And in different ways, for different sins, all people weary themselves in pursuit of sin, which never satisfies. And so the committing of sin can be wearisome. And so can the consequences of sin. The consequences of sin can be wearisome. Sin results in death. And ultimately, that means both physical and spiritual death. Sin is leading you to hell. And that's a burden to carry. The the fact that sin is leading you to hell, that is a burden when you realize that. You are on your way to hell unless you repent. 
But also there's other deaths that come from sin. Sin kills everything. Sin ruins everything. It kills relationships. It kills your bank account. It kills your, your energy. It saps your strength. It wearies your mind. And so the consequences of living in a way that God didn't design us to live, the consequences of sin are heavy and they weigh on us and they weary us. And often the sinner in, in, in realizing these consequences and, and in seeking to escape the reality of those consequences, they pursue further and further sin to satisfy their soul, which only leads to greater consequences. And there's this downward spiral then of consequences that can be a heavy burden to carry. And Jesus invites you to come and repent and find rest in him, find relief from the consequences of your sin. Now, another way that, that, that this burden and weariness is related to sin involves the guilt of sin. So the committing of sin, the consequences of sin. Now let's think about the guilt of sin. When we've sinned, our conscience accuses us and we feel guilt and we know that we've done wrong. We know in our mind and in our heart that we've done wrong and that guilt weighs heavy on us and it plagues our minds, making us weary. But Jesus offers the forgiveness of sin and the release from the guilt of those sins. Now, another way, as we think about what might this be, if we want to narrow it down, what might be some of the things that were on Jesus's mind? And another one might be, uh, another way one might be weary and burdened is by self-righteous efforts to be right with God. Uh, commentator D.A. Carson says, quote, while there's no need to restrict the burdens, it is impossible not to be reminded of the heavy loads the Pharisees put on men's shoulders. In Matthew 23, verse 4, speaking of the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus says this. He says, they tie, uh, sorry, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And the word there where it's, they tie up heavy burdens, that word burdens is related to the word heavy laden in our text. The Pharisees added to the law and they sought to keep all of those regulations. And they sought to keep them as a means of pleasing God. And their righteousness was a a rule keeping. And it was an external thing on the outside, an, an external work. And they worked to keep from doing certain things. And they worked to do certain things and all in the hope of being better than others and to earn God's favor. And so they worked to earn this righteousness. And that was a burden heavy to bear. They were loaded down not only with, with um, these, these rules and these regulations that they were trying to keep that they added to the law, but they were also loaded down with internal guilt because of their secret sins, but externally on the outside, they looked good to others, laboring to keep their rules, striving to obey all of their commandments. All works righteousness is similar to that. Perhaps today we have different works, we have different rules, but still all religions have standards and regulations that must be kept. And those works cannot make anyone righteous before God. 
Those works can never take away a single sin, no matter how much righteousness, even if it's real righteousness, no matter how much righteousness you do, it can never take away a single sin. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We are unclean as sinners born into this world. And no matter what righteousness we do as unclean people, our righteousness is like a polluted garment. In Acts chapter 15, Peter spoke about requiring the Gentiles to keep this law this way. And he says in Acts 15.10, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? And so the law was a burden and a yoke. And that doesn't mean that we now are lawless, but the law is an external set of rules to be kept on the outside, especially when we, when we do it to try to earn salvation. That's a burden and we cannot be saved by religious works. And so if you're burdened by religious efforts, and I, I just think about our community that way, if you are burdened by religious efforts, if you've been working and laboring to earn favor with God, if you are under the yoke of the law, Jesus invites you to come instead to him and find rest. You can be saved by renouncing your own efforts and coming to Jesus Christ. You can have rest from your labor and true salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so who may come? Well, first of all, all. All who labor, all who are heavy laden, they may come. They're invited. And secondly, we need to ask then, as we look at these characteristics of Jesus's invitation, secondly, let's ask, what does it mean to come? What does it mean to come? And we'll mostly see this in verse 29 and 30. What does it mean to come? There's a, there's a lot of confusion here, as I said. What is Jesus saying when he says, come to me? What does verse 29 mean when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. I want you to note as you look at that, note that come to me in verse 28 is parallel with take my yoke upon you and learn from me in verse 29. In fact, if you, if you look at it carefully, these verses are really very similar. They both start with an invitation, come or take and learn. And they both end with a promise of rest, verse 28, and I will give you rest, verse 29, and you will find rest for your souls. Now in the middle of verse 28, it talks about who may come, the weary and the heavy laden. Whereas verse 29 talks about the one they come to. Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. And all of these parallels emphasize that when Jesus says, come to me and take my yoke upon you and learn from me, they're really speaking about the same thing in different ways. These are different ways to say the same thing that leads to rest. And so let's cover these in reverse order. I kind of want to work backwards from verse 29. First, when we ask, what does it mean to come? It means, first of all, to learn from Jesus. Verse 29, Jesus says, and learn from me. 
Now, the verb learn is manthano, and, and it means just to learn, manthano. And this verb comes from the word mathetes, or, or sorry, from this verb comes the word mathetes, which means one who learns, a pupil, an apprentice. It, re- it refers to someone who is under the instruction of a teacher. And so can you guess how mathetes is translated in the New Testament? Just take a guess what mathetes is. Somebody who learns, a pupil, an apprentice. It's a disciple. A disciple. A mathetes is a disciple. And Jesus is saying then, come, learn from me. Come and be a disciple. Come and sit under my tutelage. I'm going to be your teacher and I'm going to teach you. A disciple is a learner, a pupil who learns the way of the master or the teacher. And we've talked about this often. This learning always involved doctrine and lifestyle. Doctrine and lifestyle. The learner would learn from the master's teaching, and they would learn to imitate the master's conduct. Doctrine and lifestyle. Peter says it this way in in 2 Peter 3.18. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so Peter says, grow in grace. Grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's speaking about the lifestyle. Imitating Jesus' moral conduct. Becoming like him in every response, every action, every word. That's what we are as disciples. We're imitating our Savior. We're, we're, we're becoming like him according to his character and lifestyle. And then Peter says, grow in knowledge. Grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And here Peter wants us to know Christ and to know what he thinks. And that's doctrine. That's learning. Sometimes we call it theology. The study of God and his works. We're to learn the knowledge of God. We're to come to know God in our minds. And so both sides, this grace and knowledge, come under this one heading of discipleship. And you really can't separate these two things. They really work together, but we need both of them as disciples of Jesus Christ. We're growing in our knowledge of doctrine and theology, and that knowledge of doctrine and theology is impacting our lives so that we live it out in ways that we're growing in holiness and godliness and Christ-likeness. And so what does Jesus teach when we think about becoming a learner from him? What does Jesus teach? And there's really so much that we could say here. You know, we think about everything that we've seen about discipleship in this gospel, and it really comes under this heading. Jesus called his disciples to a radical commitment to love him above friends, family, and even above their own selves. Remember we saw that in Matthew 10, 37 to 39. Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so Jesus calls us to a radical commitment to love him above everything else in our lives, even above our own selves. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus called his disciples to a life of righteousness that was focused on glorifying God. It was a righteousness member from the heart, not something just merely external, 
but a sincere desire to live before God, to live in ways that are pleasing to God, to trust him and to seek his glory above all. And so discipleship means hearing Jesus' words and obeying everything that he says in the Sermon on the Mount. It means calling Jesus Lord and doing the will of his Father in Matthew 7, 21 and 24. Another, Another way to put it is to say that discipleship demands repentance. It means following Christ away from sin. That's the idea about this discipleship. Learn from me, Jesus says. It means we're following Christ and we're learning to sin less and less. And so if you didn't come for discipleship, you haven't come to Jesus Christ. If you're not a disciple, if you're not a learner, then you are not a Christian. And so Jesus says, come and learn. That's what it means to come to Jesus. But secondly, he says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you in verse 29. And this is a metaphor. The image of a yoke represents something else. And so what is a yoke? Well, there were two kinds of yokes. There was the, the first kind of yoke was for animals, working animals. And it was a frame that you would put a, around a pair of animals and you would kind of usually in pairs, but not, not necessarily so. And you would put a pair of animals together to have them bear a burden, say a plow, and they would, they would be yoked to this plow so that they would pull the plow. And the animals would be yoked to the burden and, and they would pull it or they would carry the burden, whatever it was. And the second kind of yoke was for humans. And it was a frame that, that was maybe carried over the shoulder. And I'm not sure if it was carried over a single shoulder or carried over both shoulders, but it was a, a, a pole basically that would help somebody carry a burden. And so, and you could imagine a, a pole with a, a bucket of water on each end of it, and it would make carrying the water easier or even just on one end. And if you kind of put it at the right balanced place on your shoulder, it would make carrying a little bit easier. But regardless of, of the yoke that Jesus has in mind here when he says, take up my yoke, a yoke was always used as a metaphor for carrying a burden, whether it was for animals or for humans. In verse 30, Jesus says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And notice there that in that verse, the yoke is parallel with the burden. My yoke is easy, my burden is, is light. And so a yoke is a burden. A yoke was also used to refer then to submission. In 1 Timothy 6, 1 speaks about a bondservant. Remember, slaves who were under the yoke of their master. They were under the command of their master. They were in submission to their master. And what Jesus is saying then is, come to me, bear the burden of serving me, take me as your master. Take me as your Lord and learn to serve me. That's the idea of take my yoke. And so here's the choice that we have. Either way, no matter what we choose here, and, and, and today is a day of choice, you have a choice to make, and either way, whatever you choose, there's a burden. There's a yoke of sin, and serving sin, and serving yourself, and it's a labor to try to live for yourself. It's a heavy burden. We've already kind of examined that. But Jesus then offers a different yoke. His yoke is still a yoke. You'll still have to lose your life. You'll have to stop living for yourself. You'll have to take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. Living for Jesus' sake involves taking up a yoke. 
And the apostles, they love to speak of themselves this way. They love to speak of themselves as Jesus' slaves. We saw in Matthew 6.24 that Jesus called us to love God, to be devoted to him, to serve him. And that word there, serve, meant to serve as a slave. We are to be slaves of God. But Jesus says that, that as we take up this yoke, as we give up our lives for his sake, it's going to be an easy and a light yoke versus the heavy and the wearisome yoke of serving the world, of serving Satan, of serving our flesh. Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that word there, easy, means that it causes no discomfort. It's easy to wear. In other contexts, it's translated kind or loving or good. It's a loving and kind and a good yoke. It doesn't chafe. It doesn't cause discomfort. And that word there, light, means that it's not heavy. It's easy to carry. His burden is easy. And that might kind of bring up a question. What is, what is this easy, difficult yoke that we're supposed to carry? Scripture often speaks this way about the Christian life. It, it costs everything, but it's free. We must lose our life for Jesus' sake, but we're going to find life in doing it. We are slaves of Christ, right? We are to be slaves of Christ, but at the same time, we are free in the Lord. We're to obey to the point of death, but we have life. And here we're to carry Jesus' burden and we're to submit to his lordship. We take up his yoke but it's easy and light. And so how do these paradoxical things go together? And the answer is that when we come to Jesus, really two things happen. Two things happen that make this an easy and a light burden. And the one is that we're born again. In fact, we're actually born again, which transforms us and makes us come. But regardless of how we understand that, we are supernaturally changed in that moment that we come to Jesus Christ. We are supernaturally transformed. We're given by grace a new nature. We become different people with new and holy desires, desires to please God, desires that cause us to love him and want to live our lives to his glory. We delight in him and we delight in the law of God in our inner being, Romans 7.22. We're created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, Ephesians 4.24. We've been raised from the dead by the glory of the Father that we might walk in newness of life, Romans 6.4. We are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17 and Galatians 6.15. Our old self was crucified with Christ so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, Romans 6, 6. The Son has set us free and we are free indeed, John 8, 36. And when we're born from above, we desire to live for and serve our great God. In 1 John 5 and verse 3, and actually, why don't we go ahead and turn there. Open your Bible to 1 John 5 and verse 3. I think that's a really important context as we try to understand uh, these paradoxical take up my yoke and yet it's an easy and a light one. 1 John 5, 3 and 4 says this, for this is the love of God. This is what it means to love God. That's what it means by the love of God. It's love for God here. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
our faith, our trust in this living Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, coupled with our new birth, we've been born of God, means that we love God and we keep his commandments. And those commandments, are, although they maybe once were a burden to us in our unregenerate state, those commandments are no longer burdensome. They're a joy and a delight. Even if it means serious self-denial and the hostility of the world, it's still a joy and a delight to serve this God and serve this Savior, Jesus Christ. Because everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world by faith. Now, another aspect that that, um, really to combining these seemingly paradoxical ideas, an easy and a light, burdensome yoke, is that when we come to Jesus, we have Jesus to help us carry our load. And he is with us always to the end of the age, Matthew 28, 20. Paul said in Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so Jesus Christ lives in us by the person of the Holy Spirit. And if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh, Galatians 5.16. Jesus' grace empowers us in our weakness and it empowers us to carry our cross and bear the sweet yoke of serving him, 2 Corinthians 12.9. And those of us who have come to know this, this Jesus Christ and have come to him, we know the privilege it is of serving him. We, we've experienced and tasted how great it is just to do even the most simple thing in service to our Lord. And we would rather suffer with him than have all the comfort of the world without him. And that leads us to the to the third part of what it means to come to him. And we've been, we've been going in reverse order here. First, it meant to, to, to learn, to be a disciple, a learner. Second, we saw it meant to take up his yoke, to, to serve him, to work for him, to live for his sake. That's what it means to come. And now third, he says in verse 28, he just says, come to me. Come to me. And this is likely the sweetest of these three sayings. You see, we don't just come to learn. We don't just come to serve. We come to Jesus Christ. And when Jesus said these words, he was actually physically there in Galilee calling the people to come to him and follow him and be his disciples. But there's really not much difference for us today. Jesus may not be physically here, but he is just as truly here. He is with us in greater ways because he's alive and seated at the right hand of God as a man. But as God, he is spiritually everywhere. He is here and he is everywhere. And all of him is everywhere. And so when we come, we come to this living person, Jesus Christ. And he himself welcomes us to himself. He himself comes to dwell with us. He himself will reveal the Father to us. He himself will teach us about himself and about his ways. And he himself will be with us as we serve him. And so this is an invitation to come to Jesus Christ, to come to God the Son, the creator of the world and the savior of sinners. And he is gentle and lowly, and he is powerful and exalted. He is Lord of the universe 
But he himself, he himself, the Lord of the universe will receive you if you come to him. And he will unite himself to you and he will welcome you and he will live with you. You see, you come weary. You come heavy laden. You come in repentance with fresh sins in your life and the guilt of them and you come tired and you come weak and you come weary and you come in all of your filthiness and he is gentle in heart and he is lowly in heart and he will receive to you and he even says to you, come, come to me. And this gentle and lowly king will receive all who come to him if they will truly come to him in the way that he says. You see, we don't come to a religion. We don't come to a program. We don't come to a creed or to a philosophy or to a church. We come to a living person. We come to God the Son. We come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we take his yoke and we commit our lives to him and we learn and we grow from him. We don't come perfect. We come in sin and we learn to grow in holiness and to become like like him And that's what it means to come. And so all may come. All may come. And we come to him and we take his yoke and we learn. And then third, the third characteristic of Jesus' gracious invitation. And we're going to just unpack it very briefly because, because it was the first two points were long. We want to ask, why come? Why should you come? And if you look at the text again, if you're there in Matthew chapter 11, you'll see the one part of the text that we haven't really looked at yet. Verse 28 and 29, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. And verse 29, and you will find rest for your souls. And so Jesus himself promises us rest. Rest from the weariness of sin. Rest from the burden of guilt. Rest from trying to resist God and his ways. Rest from all the useless strivings and trying to earn God's favor. Rest from whatever you were laboring at and burdened with before you came to Christ. You will find rest. And this rest is a reference to the promised Sabbath rest that God himself gives. This rest is spoken of in Psalm 95, and I want you to just kind of turn there. Psalm 95. Psalm 95. Let's just start in verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And then in the last part of verse seven, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart for the, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now the author of Hebrews points out so insightfully that David says in this passage today, 
as though there's another opportunity to enter into God's rest. Today, if you hear his voice, if you've heard the voice of the son saying, come to me, all who weary and heavy laden, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. There is a rest for the believing people of God. And so don't harden your heart. Come to Jesus Christ and be saved. And this rest begins really at the moment of union with Christ. It begins today if you will come. And it ends with our eternal rest with God and Christ forever in heaven. And see, Jesus is the only way to enter this rest. The only way to the Father. He is the only way to heaven. Again, in our text, the verse right before our text, Matthew eleven twenty seven, Jesus said, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. You see, no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. The only way to the Father is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the Son then turns and He invites you to come to Him. And if you come, you will find rest for your soul. Why should you come? Because if you come, you will find this rest. Heavenly rest, eternal rest, Rest from your strivings and labors. Rest with the power of the Holy Spirit helping you to live this Christian life. It's no longer a burden. It's now a delight and a joy to serve God and live for Jesus Christ. And so if you come, you will find rest for your soul. But if you don't come, why should you come? Because if you don't come, you will have labor and burden in this life. And ultimately, you will have death and hell and separation from God forever. And so Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you for this passage, and thank you for this invitation from our Savior to come. Father, we pray that you would draw people to yourself, even in this moment, that you would bring people and make them come to Christ. We pray that we who have come would continue to learn from him, that we would continue to bear this yoke well and grow in our faith. We pray that we would continue to delight in this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And we pray that it would be an encouragement to us to consider that we have come to this great Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would do this in our hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.